On a Monday, it's Bigger Pockets Daily. This is where we take the best articles from biggerpockets.com and read them, so you can keep learning about real estate while you go about your busy life. Okay, almost time for the show. We'll get right into it after this quick break. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single-family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Meet RentApp, the seamless, secure, free way to collect rent. Built by a team of fintech veterans behind Square and Cash App, RentApp uses ACH bank transfers to deposit funds directly into your account. You don't even need to download anything. RentApp setup is straightforward for renters, and there are no apps for landlords to download. Both get peace of mind with a digital transaction history. That means no more lost checks, managing a dozen different payment apps, or even wondering whether payment was sent. Landlords say RentApp is the most convenient way to collect rent, and we think you'll agree. RentApp, the free and easy way to collect rent. Learn more at rent.app landlord. That's rent.app landlord. This is an excerpt from First Time Homebuyer, The Ultimate Guide to Avoiding Rookie Mistakes by Scott Trench and Mindy Jensen. To learn more about the book, you can go to biggerpockets.com slash first home. Chapter 3. How to Take Control of Appreciation Although we've talked plenty about appreciation up to this point, let's start this chapter with a basic definition, in case you've started skipping around. Do what you will, but you might have missed some top-shelf puns. And we all know that's what you're really here for. Simply put, appreciation is the increase in a property's value over time. If you bought a house for $200,000 and it's worth $300,000 the next year, it has appreciated. By a lot. You should be appreciative of that appreciation. Appreciation itself is a very general term, but there are two more specific subtypes, market appreciation and forced appreciation. The former is what we've been mentioning extensively, the national, regional, and local factors that give your home's value a little more oomph each year. The latter is a fancy way to talk about adding value to the home itself, like fixing up a relic of the 1970s by removing the shag carpet and wood paneling. These may sound like two completely different concepts, but they're both just different ways a house can increase in value over time. Much like exit options, you should be thinking about appreciation before you buy your house instead of as a panicked afterthought. In this chapter, not only will we discuss a framework for thinking about these value adds, but we'll also talk about the best ways to incorporate them into your home buying strategy. Market Appreciation 
Because we need a starting point to discuss market appreciation, let's take a minute to talk about national averages. There are many different ways to look at appreciation, but we personally prefer something called the Case-Shiller Index. Without going too deep into the details, this index basically tracks the sales prices of single-family properties sold at market value, which excludes apartments, condos, co-ops, new construction, foreclosures, and selling a house to a friend for a favorable price. Why is it important to ignore new home construction? New builds tend to get bigger and bigger in square footage with better floor plans, gizmos, and gadgets. The average purchase price of new homes increases at a rate of nearly 5% per year on average, so they give us a completely different picture on price movements. Because we want to estimate how much a home purchased today will be worth in the future, we should look at the more accurate appreciation rate of existing homes, not new ones. The Case-Shiller Index is where we got the number we have mentioned in previous chapters, that 3.4% appreciation rate we hold near and dear to our hearts. This national average encompasses existing houses nationwide, and though it's unpredictable on a year-to-year basis, it's statistically consistent over the long term. However, if you want a more dependable way to gauge appreciation over the next decade or less, it's better to zoom in on a more specific location. Regional appreciation. Though the country as a whole follows a consistent long-term pattern, different regions around the country experience different levels of appreciation. Their short-term changes and long-term averages can vary considerably from the national average. You can't expect us all to have the exact same housing market when we can't even agree on how to pronounce pecan. In addition to the Case-Shiller National Index, There are many market-specific indexes that can be helpful when buying your first home. For example, the Composite 20 is a home price index for 20 major metropolitan statistical areas, including Los Angeles, New York, Dallas, and Seattle, among others. Localized tools use methods similar to Case Shiller's to estimate appreciation in specific areas. For example, Denver home prices have experienced a 4.2% annualized appreciation rate from 2000 to 2020. Detroit, on the other hand, has experienced an appreciation rate much closer to zero over the same period. In both cases, the local average is more useful than the national figure for estimating a home's future appreciation. On the other hand, you might look at your market and think that historical averages are no longer useful for predicting the future. If you live in San Francisco, an area that has seen massive appreciation in recent years, you might speculate that high housing prices combined with increasing opportunities for remote work will motivate professionals to leave in favor of more affordable cities. Maybe you live in an area that hasn't appreciated much in the past, but a local organic bakery was featured on Food Network and your town has been discovered. In either case, Appreciation rates could deviate significantly from their previous averages. In addition, past performance is not a guarantee of future success. A Denver investor might also assume that appreciation will slow down over the next 20 years because they feel that prices simply can't climb much higher than they are today. The Detroit investor might think that Detroit is about to hit a growth spurt and prices will increase over the next few decades. The best you can do is try to understand the basics of your market and make an assumption you can live with. 
Is your city a growing metropolis with lifestyle opportunities and jobs that are likely to attract more high-earning professionals over time? Or is your area on the decline, with more people leaving than moving in every year? Ask yourself about the specifics of this location in the context of the recent past and foreseeable future, and you'll be in a better position to ballpark long-term appreciation at, above, or below the national average of 3.4%. Why is the exactness of this number important, you ask? 2, 3, 4%, it's all adding some sort of value, right? The truth is, a few percentage points can throw off the numbers considerably. For example, that $400,000 home in our previous example would be worth $473,000 after five years at the 3.4% national average appreciation rate. What if that house had been in Nashville, which has seen a massive 6% average annual increase in value? In that same period of time, with an ongoing rate of growth, that house would be worth $535,000, which is a huge overall difference for just a few percentage points. Exciting equity aside, this rate is one of the key factors behind your decision to buy or rent. It changes that critical break-even point considerably. A home that appreciates at a 6% rate would be a better option than renting, even if you stay in the home for only three years before selling. The higher appreciation rate makes it easier to earn back the money that is put into buying and selling a home. However, always keep in mind that appreciation rates ultimately provide nothing more than a gut check. Should you base your entire home buying decision on what you think the market might do after five years? Probably not. There's no way to reliably forecast appreciation rates in the short or long term. At least, not until someone invents a time machine. We're patiently waiting for that day. While we acknowledge the fact that it is one big, whopping guess, we also need to acknowledge that some markets are more likely to experience growth than others. It's important to at least form a hypothesis about future appreciation rates in your local market as you go into your home buying decision. If you are buying in a market in which you expect appreciation at a faster rate than the national average, you need to be sure those expectations are justified. Similarly, if you're buying in a market that experiences less growth, you should factor those expectations into your assessment. Hyper-local factors It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. The sun is shining, birds are chirping, and... This sketchy gas station next door is getting robbed by an escaped convict from the prison down the street. When it comes to hyper-local features that can impact your property's value and your own quality of life, an infinite number of factors can come into play. The bad news is that we can't possibly address them all. The good news is that you can probably see and hear most of them with your own eyes and ears. Start by driving around the block surrounding any home that you are considering buying. How busy are the streets? How well-kept are the houses and their yards? Pay particularly close attention to any busy streets and commercial buildings near your property, especially if it's in a city or suburb. A lovely grocery store a few blocks away? That's a plus. Easy access to a highway or airport? Double plus. Being so close to the airport that planes are constantly zooming over your roof? Not so much. Look for anything that makes you feel uncomfortable or 
is just objectively unsightly or seedy. There's no excuse for buying a house, living there for a week, then being caught by surprise by the gentleman's club you didn't realize was three blocks down the road. Ask yourself how these neighborhood features will impact your own standard of living. Then, consider how they will impact the life of a hypothetical, picky future home buyer to whom you're trying to sell the home. Imagine them walking around your house, gushing about the hardwood floors and spacious yard, then stepping outside to a breath of fresh air that smells peculiarly like the dog food factory across the street. Though you may be able to fix up the ugly features of a home itself, you need to keep in mind all those neighborhood features you can't possibly alter. Petition all you want, but you won't be able to shut down that dog food factory, and the delicious aroma of dog food can significantly slow your home's appreciation rate over time. Once you're done scouting the location as it is now, ask yourself what the neighborhood will look like at different times of the year. For example, in a snowy part of the country, a home with a driveway facing south will see snow melt faster than a home facing north. Is the direction the house faces a deal breaker? No. Is it something to file away when deciding between two otherwise similar properties? Absolutely. Also be aware of activities that vary by season. A home next to a football stadium will bring fun lifestyle opportunities on game days, but it will also bring traffic jams, congestion, and maybe a bit of litter. A home next to a school offers a great opportunity for families to send their kiddos over without a commute, but it also brings daily bus and foot traffic during the school year. You might not be able to see these things if you purchase your home on a sleepy summer day, so try to ask local residents how the atmosphere varies in the area throughout the year. Also note that seasonal patterns can be a good thing. Some people will pay more, not less, to own a house that's close to exciting events in their community. The main point is to limit surprises down the road. Go into the purchase with your eyes and ears and nostrils wide open. Be the worst that you can be. While you conduct your neighborhood analysis, circling the block like a very persistent or very lost salesperson, ask yourself whether the house you want to buy is the best on the block, the worst, or somewhere in between. Buying the best home on the block might earn you bragging rights, but will leave you with fewer potential buyers down the line. The nicest house will be dragged down by the properties in worse condition nearby, so its long-term appreciation rate is likely to be stifled. On the other hand, the worst home on the block will have an appreciation rate that is bolstered by its fancier and better-maintained neighbors. Future buyers who might not otherwise consider your neighborhood because it's normally out of their price range could be interested in your property when you go to sell. There's also a lot more potential to force appreciation, but even if you don't want to take on the responsibility of a fixer-upper, a in-between house is still better than the best one. Though you should be able to rank a neighborhood's homes by driving around, you can also support your best, worst, in-between conclusion based on the price of those houses. If you're buying a home for $350,000 in a neighborhood where they usually sell for $400,000, you're on the right track. If a home's price is $500,000 in that same neighborhood, not so much. Where could that $500,000 house possibly go from there? Plus, who would want to buy it down the line? 
when they could instead look at nicer neighborhoods that are full of half-million-dollar houses. Just make sure you're not limiting your pool of potential buyers when you decide to sell. Buying the worst house on the block can be a great approach, and you might even bring the property up to par with your fancy neighbors over time. Wrapping up market appreciation. When considering appreciation rates, the best anyone can do is make an informed decision based on these concepts. It is nearly impossible for the average home buyer to predict prices in the short term, but it is reasonable to make high-level assumptions over the long term. Start with the national long-term appreciation rate, adjust that based on your local market, and adjust again for the specifics of the location you choose within that market. A home in a fast-growing city, next to a popular park and high-end grocery stores, in a great school district that is also the worst home on its block, is likely to experience a wonderful appreciation rate. It's much better off than the nicest home on the block, in a stagnating market, near seedy commercial retail, with the school district that would make Ferris Bueller cry. In one case, the buyer might reasonably assume a 4-5% to long-term annual appreciation rate. In the other, they might assume a more modest 1-2% appreciation rate. The buyer shouldn't rely on appreciation in either case, since the economy could tank tomorrow and leave them with reduced property values. They should position themselves to potentially recognize appreciation by buying the right property, but the appreciation itself is just icing on the cake. This has been an excerpt from First Time Homebuyer, The Ultimate Guide to Avoiding Rookie Mistakes by Scott Trench and Mindy Jensen. To learn more about the book, you can go to biggerpockets.com slash first home. I hope you got some value out of that article. Before I get out of here, did you know Bigger Pockets has nationwide data that can help you identify the best market, neighborhood, and property to invest in? It's called Bigger Pockets Insights, and it's a benefit available to pro members only. See if Bigger Pockets Insights can help you at biggerpockets.com/insights. Thanks for listening. And I'll see you back here tomorrow.